Be seated.
Thank you for that. So we, uh, they just did one song because we were going to, several weeks ago, I asked several of you, I asked, uh, well, the whole congregation that uh, to fill out any questions that you may have. Never done this before, and, um, and so never have actually seen it done. I've heard about uh, pastors doing this. Uh, some pastors will actually um, sit up on stage, and, and they'll actually answer questions as they come in online. But um, my goal was to get to six, uh, six questions, and uh, that, that's not going to happen. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. Because the questions that were asked were really good, and I did not want to give a, just a few sentences about it and then move on. I wanted it to be thorough, and I said, you know what? We have time, and we'll revisit this again. But those who didn't get their questions answered, um, if I didn't give you um, a, an envelope, then you know that I'm going to answer it here today. So some of them I actually gave an envelope to, and I answered your question in that. So you still got your question answered, just not going to be able to answer it out loud. Um, I'm trying to be very thorough in, in these. These are very serious uh, questions, and, and I hope that uh, I did not pass out notes this morning because I, I just wanted this to be us. If you want to go on the website and take notes down as I, as I talk, I can definitely print out these notes when everything's done, and I can give you the complete set uh, so you'll know. And, and I do need some feedback from you. <clears throat> if you enjoy this, I need you to let me know because, you know, we can do this again in six months. And uh, I don't know why it's moving on me. Uh, we can be, uh, we can be, we can revisit this in about six months. And so um, if, if this is something that you'd like to do, I get questions all the time from people. I get tons of questions, really good stuff. And so this is kind of what spurred this. And so, um, so th there's a lot of topics that uh, people ask me about, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and tell you today, there's, there's going to be some tough topics that we're going to look at today. So don't say this is my opinion. I'm not trying to give you my opinion unless I say this is my opinion, but I'm just going to break down the scriptures and tell you what's going on. And this is, uh, so know this, don't walk out of here mad because I said something you didn't agree with. And like I tell everybody, you need to study this out for yourself to make sure you know what you believe because you're the one that's going to have to give an account for what you believe, okay? And so as you saw, the first thing is I was asked about cremation, you know, and this is, this is an interesting question because a lot of people do struggle with cremation. Um, and typically the older generation really does because if you can think back to your grandparents and parents, they'll say, you were not supposed to be cremated. You know, it's against God's word to be cremated. You're not supposed to be cremated. And then you would ask them, and I did this one time, and I go, why? I don't know, but that's what the preacher said. I don't know. You're not supposed to be cremated. But they didn't know what the whole history behind cremation was. In fact, you know, um, people believe, and some of you may even believe this or be battling with this, that if you're cremated, you're really not going to heaven anymore. All right, and so uh, we just did Carson Stevens yesterday that uh, he, he was cremated. We've done a bunch of services where uh, they've been cremated. And so I'm going to talk to you a little bit about cremation in biblical times in the New Testament church and then also why, what people believe today and why, they, and why this most likely got passed down the way it did. So the first question is, is was cremation practiced in biblical times? And the answer is absolutely yes, it was but not by the Jews. 
The Jews did not want to participate in cremation, and there's a reason for that, which I'm going to explain. But burial was the chosen message, uh, method for uh, after somebody died. You had, um, you had um, Abraham. He buried his wife, Sarah. You have David, slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. You have even Jesus Christ. He was, what, laid in uh, his own tomb, right? So we have illustration after illustration that, uh, and I could go on and on and on, where I could pull how many people were buried and buried and buried. It was, it was typical for Jews to be buried. Now, the reason for this was because, if you look at the bottom corner, how many of you have been to Israel in here? How many of you went to Hinnom Valley? Right here, see here's the Mount of Olives and the Eastern Ridge. and then, But down here, there's a valley, okay? And if you can see over there, there's a valley right there. This valley has played a huge role in the Old Testament and New Testament. And Jesus referred to this a lot. How many of you have ever heard this statement? Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven, right? And so when Jesus was making a reference to hell, guess where he was pointing to? That valley right there. Now, what is so significant about this valley? Well, it's referenced in the Old Testament as Gena, right? Gena. How many? What's also Gena's known for? Sheol. Hell. Okay? So Jesus keeps pointing to this valley as a reference to hell. And so the, when we see this, we see this in Isaiah and Jeremiah. The reason this valley is so important is because of the history of this valley. We see here the Chaldeans came in and they built on high places of Baal. They're in the valley of Hinnom to make their sons and daughters pass through the fire of Molech. I have talked about Molech in here over there with the life of David. If you know anything about Molech, this is the guy that they built this altar to and, and they built his hands like this and they would, they would build, a, build a fire underneath his hands. And they would get this hands red hot and they would take their children and lay them on there and they would sacrifice their children. You know where they did it? In the Hinnom Valley. This was the common practice where they were burning their kids up. And the Chaldeans were the ones who did this and they sacrificed their kids by fire to the point where they burned them. Okay, they killed them. For years, this has been a place of sacrifice, of human sacrifice, of children's sacrifice. So what about New Testament practices? Well, Matthew 10, 28, one of, the, one of the references that Jesus makes, he says, Be not afraid of those killing the body and are not able to kill the soul, but fear him who can kill the body and soul. In where? Gena. Where? In the Hinnon Valley. Jesus is going... Here's the reference. He's trying to make a practical reference. How many times did he look at a field and say, okay, the farmer or the tree, and he's pointing down because in the New Testament day, now this is, this is sometimes people argue this point, and some people say, I don't really agree with that, but it does seem like we have some history. It doesn't really matter, but some people argue the fact. But in this valley, it was a garbage dump. It was constantly on fire. Do you know how they kept the fires hot? They used brimstone. Brimstone. Have you ever heard about that? Brimstone being in hell, right? They used brimstone to keep the fires going. Brimstone is also what? Sulfur. Can you imagine the smell? Sulfur is horrific, is it not? 
And so now you have garbage and now you have sewage because they didn't have septic tanks. They're dumping their sewage. They're dumping the garbage down there, but they're also dumping criminal body. Because, see, if you were a criminal, then you wasn't worthy of being buried. And so they had this fire. How many of you have ever burnt your skin before or even singed your hair? Ladies, how many times you ever reached in the oven and all of a sudden that heat comes out and all your hairs are gone? Guys, how many times you've done something and that steam comes out or that fire comes out and you were too close and, you know, your eyebrows are about gone? That smell, once you smell that smell one time, right, you're not going to forget it. Once you smell burning skin one time, you're not going to forget it. Here are these criminals, they were dumped in the valley of Gena, Hemnon Valley, and they were being burned up. So now, what do you think the Jews associated with this? Criminals go to hell, they are on fire, they burn up, that's why I'm not going to be cremated, because I'm not a criminal, and I'm worthy to be buried. And so it was, it was a mental thing for them, all right? God's word has never stopped anybody from being cremated. There's nothing in the scriptures. But what happened is, is because of this, it's been passed down through the Jews, through the New Testament church, and the teaching remains, and it all stems from this valley right here. Because criminals, this is where they would be burned, and this is where we burned up. So why do some believers object to the practice today? Well, I'm going to tell you what I hear more than anything. More believers object to the practice today. It is because they believe that it hinders the resurrection of the body. More people believe that it's going to hinder the resurrection. Now, we all believe in a resurrection, right? You better. Because Jesus was resurrected. We will be resurrected too one day, right? First Corinthians, Thessalonians. This is their teaching. Now, if they take my ashes and they spread them all over the ocean or they take them and they take them to a garden and then, you know, God is not capable. God is not able to put them back together. So in 1 Corinthians, we see in a moment in a twinkling of an eye that the dead will be raised up imperishable and will be what? Changed. In 1 Thessalonians, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. This is what people believe. If I'm cremated, God is not going to be able to put my body back together. Let me say this. If you're dead over a thousand years, you're ashes anyway. But if you fall off a boat, and you're, you've been killed by ten sharks, and they spread your bodies all over the ocean, is God capable of bringing that body back? If God is capable in making you, then he's capable of bringing you back. There's no, there's no scripture that says, thou shalt not be cremated, because you'll never be put back together. Because we go back to what? Dust. Our body turns back to dust. And so to have that thinking is to say, it's more tradition passed down from the Jews because of the Valley of Hinnon and because of the, um, the, the criminals that were burned there. That was the association. However, everybody needs to make their decision about this. But don't present it as this is a biblical view. You need to search your own heart and say, is it right for me to be cremated? Now, was cremation really a big deal 20 years ago, Kevin George? Was it cremation such a big deal? Probably in the, what, last five? 
Why? Because the cost of stuff, right? Cost of stuff is going out of sight, and people are like, I just don't have it. You know, I don't have it to, 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 to give. I don't have $9,000, whatever it is. But I can go have them cremated, and I can't afford that. So a lot of people are doing it because of financial reasons. But you need to search your own heart. But also don't condemn somebody else if they want to be cremated because that's their personal choice. They're not breaking God's law. They're not going against the word of God. That's their own choice. And people are like, you know what? I want to be buried. And I want to be buried with my spouse, beside my spouse, with my parents or whatever. That's great. And then there are some people like, I just, I want to go to my favorite spot in the, in the ocean or whatever. And I want my ashes spread there. That's great. Neither one of them are wrong. I just want you to know how did this get passed down year after year after year in the tradition of this. So for those who, I don't even remember who asked me the question about cremation, but that handles that. And by the way, if you have any further questions or on this, you can see me afterwards. But I got another question. Question number two is, does God speak through dreams? Does God speak through dreams and through nightmares? So the Bible actually is, uh, has a lot of clarity on this particular subject. But let me, let me give you an idea. Because a lot of times people will do this. I had this dream last night. What is God telling me? He's telling you that you ate too much Mexican that day. <laughs> because sometimes this is how it is. If, how many of you have ever been thinking something and never completed that thought and you dream about it that night. The brain is a miraculous thing where it stores the memory, and you could be thinking about something, and you didn't complete that whole thought, that whole sentence, and later on, you tie it all in to your dream. You know, how about nightmares? You know, does, does God or Satan use nightmares? You know, the, the truth is that Satan wants our mind. Sometimes we introduce things into our life like horror movies and different things that we should not be letting in and we do get nightmares from that. But the majority of the time, this is what you're going to find. If you can just think back about what you were thinking about that day, what you saw, and you're just like, you know what? I never completed that thought. I never completed that sentence. And I put it in my dream and I completed it in my dream. My son came to me a few weeks ago. I have taught my kids this for a very long time about the dreams and stuff. And he came to me and he said, this is what I dreamed. And he, and he had like five things he dreamed. And he said, this is when it happened. This is when it happened. He said, that whole day, it was all incomplete thoughts. He said, Dad, I could trace it. Every, every dream that I had. So now I told you that I would answer this uh, scripturally. And so I, I don't have enough time to show you everything all the time, God uses dreams. But I want to tell you this. God used dreams and visions over and over and over again. You remember Abraham, when God used a dream that he would be the father of many nations in the Old Testament. I could go right through A, B, C, D, but I didn't. You got Joseph. Remember Joseph? How many dreams did this man have? In fact, one of his dreams got him put in the pit, right? Because he said, look, hey, brothers, y'all are going to bow down to me. Uh, no, we're not. No, God told me in a dream. If somebody walks up to you and said, God told me in a dream that you were going to bow down to me, you'd probably throw them in a pit too, wouldn't you? And so here Joseph dreamed that his whole family, not just his brothers, in the second dream that the whole family would bow down. We have Pharaoh. Remember Pharaoh had a dream? 
about Joseph that he would be second in command over all of Egypt and to save the, save the Egyptians from that famine? Pharaoh had a dream. We have, the, the, um, we have uh, the cook in this story had a dream. I could keep going on and on and on in the Old Testament where God used dreams. But not only this, in the New Testament, what, what do we see? Joseph. Remember when Joseph sent the angel through a dream and he said what? He said, he said hey, you need to marry this woman because what was Joseph doing in his heart? He was getting ready to put her away silently in his heart. And so because of this, God had to appear to Joseph in a dream and say, look, don't leave her. You need to marry her because she's pregnant with my son. How about Ananias? You remember when Ananias had a vision? You got, you got Paul. Now, I want to say this. Paul has killed more people and persecuted more people than you and I could ever imagine. And this is why he says, I'm chief of sinners. Paul was a very wicked man. But when God changed him on the Damascus Road, he went away, he's blind, and God sent this man right here to visit Paul. And you know what happens? He goes, uh, are you sure? Are you sure you want me to go visit this man? I know what he's going to do to me. And God says, go see him. And as a result from this, Ananias um, obeying what God said in the dream, guess what? Paul recovers from his sight, and they begin a, a relationship. And so here's, that's just another illustration of this. What about Paul? Paul had a vision to go preach in a Macedonia. Remember the man, the Macedonia call, where he was like, I need to go preach here. This man had been praying. What about an, another encouraged him to keep preaching in Corinth? And there was another one where God gave him a vision of heaven. For goodness sake, the whole book of the Revelation is a what? It's a vision. From John. What about Peter? Remember when, when he thought he could only eat certain animals and he had the four corners coming down and God says, you know, everything's free to you. You're good to eat it. That was a vision. That was a dream. So over and over and over, we see that God used dreams and uses visions in the Bible. But what about today? Now, I don't know why this is the case, but it seems to me that when I hear of cases of people being used and God using dreams, it's a lot of times in women, uh, for whatever reason. This is just my personal experience. It don't make me right. I'm just saying I have more women say, man, this is what God showed me and in a dream, and it all came about the way he wanted me to do this. So there are a lot of stories circulating about closed countries. What do I mean? Communist countries where the gospel is not welcome. So how is God speaking to these people? If you have a closed country, how is, how, how is it that you're going to hear the gospel? Let's say that the gospel is not welcome in, in America. And you, there's no missionaries and there's nobody giving out the word of God. And God says, I'm calling these people. How is it that he is going to speak? You know what? We see story after story of missionaries that God has, uh, I mean, uh, people that God has used. And he spoke to them through dreams and through visions. And so you have to be careful. For instance, there's, there's one particular story where there was this missionary and he was driving his car. And all of a sudden, this man just showed up out of nowhere and he said, he said, are you the man of God? The missionary, I mean, he was like, well, I'm, I'm a missionary of God. What? He said, about two weeks ago, God had given me a dream and told me that I needed to be here at this particular time, at this particular place, so I could be introduced to him. 
Now, we hear stories like that and we think, wow, that's pretty amazing, right? You know what? We also hear stories of, of Muslims who had vision of Jesus Christ, that he was truly God's son. He is really the Savior, and they were converted where they never heard. We, we, we hear stories like that. So, is it possible that God can still use a dream to accomplish his work? Now, understand, what is the purpose of anything that God does? God is not going to do something to better your name, to make you uh, bigger in the eyes of man. If God does something such as uses a vision or a dream, you know what he's going to do? He's going to present the gospel. The big, the big problem with speaking in tongues is this. is people take it home and they practice it and they say, this is, you know, you're not saved unless you speak in tongues. Did God use tongues in the New Testament? Yeah, he did. What was the purpose? To get the gospel out. Not to stand up and blabber, 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 but it was to get the gospel out. And by the way, Jews were always present when this occurred. And there was always an interpreter. So if you say, you know what, I'm going to, I had this dream and this is what God, I promise you, it is not for your glory. It is for his glory. So is it possible that God uses dreams to accomplish his will, his work? Yeah, I believe it is. I believe that they're in closed countries that God uses visions and dreams and he speaks to people through them. Because if not, how other, what other way they're going to hear the gospel? However, I'm going to say this, you need to use caution. You need to use caution and make sure it's God speaking and not Satan. Because, you know, we really have an enemy out there. And he really makes things look real and sound real, but it's counterfeit. And so you need to use caution in, is it just bad Mexican or is God really speaking to me, right? There's a difference. And ultimately, this is the, this is the most important of all of these. We have a finished revelation. It is complete. I don't have to go searching for prophets or searching for prophecy. I have a completed work of God. It is, does not contain truth. It is truth. And if you ever say, God said for me to do this or had this vision or whatever, and it goes against this truth, I'll tell you this, it wasn't of God, okay? It is a lie. It is counterfeit. And if you're a person that tries to go seeking visions and dreams, and that's how you're getting your word from God, I want to tell you that is absolutely incorrect. It will be something that you did not even seek out, that you did not want to come upon you, and, and it will just happen. But that's not how you're seeking God. We should seek God through God's word and through prayer. That's how we should seek God. So there's two questions, and I got 14 minutes left, and this last one will take it. The, the, the last question was homosexuality. Is there such thing as a gay Christian? You know, I know some of you in here, you have family members, you have friends and acquaintances, so I'm going to go ahead and say this. By no means am I mean, no means am I uh, derogatory, towards anyone, I, I'm going to present the truth and I'm going to help people understand some background on this. And so a lot of times Christians, all they do is yell and scream, oh, I can't believe they're this or this, but yet they're doing some of the very same sins that, other, that they're, they're running other people down about. But the particular question I have is, 
Is there such thing as a gay Christian? And I'm going to answer this at the end. And then can, can gay people really go to heaven? And so one of the things I want you to understand with this is practicing homosexuality acts sinful or wrong. Because if you talk to the teenagers now in the public school system, they're going to tell you really quick that if you do not accept that this is okay, then you are the one that's wrong, okay? Go ahead and get ready for that. That's what's being taught. That if you do not accept it, then you're the one that's wrong. So the question you have to ask is this. Is the sin of homosexuality, practicing homosexuality, is it a sin? Well, I told you I wasn't going to give you my opinion, but I was going to give you what God's Word says. We find this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. It says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? What is he saying? These people that practice this lifestyle are not going to heaven. Okay? It didn't say, they didn't say a prayer when they were seven. It says it is a lifestyle. It is what they're living for, living like. He says, do not be deceived, neither sexual and moral people. What is this? People that are having sex outside of their marriage. It's amazing how many people will have a constant sexual relationship outside of their marriage and then walk into church every Sunday and go, I'm good. I'm good. But they're not willing to get out of this. And this is what he's saying. He's saying, you need to check yourself. What does God say? 1 Corinthians, he says what? You need to make sure... And examine yourself that you're really born again. He said, because if you're practicing this lifestyle, and by the way, this is not just with a man and a man and a woman with a woman. This is heterosexual relationships. But you know what? When we look at this, we go, well, you know what? That's just, that's just being young. That's not what God calls it. How about, how about idolaters or people that put things before God? How about adulterers? People that are having relationships outside of their marriage. And I talked about this um, with the life of David. I said, it's not yours to give away. If, if you have a spouse, your body is not yours. It's hers and vice versa. And it's not yours to give away. You've already given it to somebody else. How about homosexuals? He said, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. How about thieves? How about those who are greedy? What? Greedy. Do we have a lot of greed in this nation right now? Do we have a lot of greed in the world right now? You know what God says? This is who they are. It's take, 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 take what I can get, what I can get, what I can get. He said these people will spend eternity in hell. How about those who are habitually drunk? I, I had uh, somebody was talking to me about uh, finding out about the history of this place and and, uh, and they were talking about there was one man that, that stayed drunk all the time. And when they were building a church, he would come and he would pass out on the lawn. If a person is a habitual drunk, then you know what? We understand through the scriptures that they're not born again. How about somebody who is a verbal abuser? Somebody that can't control their mouth. Somebody that cusses all the time. Tells nasty jokes. But then they turn around and say, yeah, I'm a believer in God. You may believe in God. That's great. But the Bible says you're not going to heaven. What about swindlers? People that are always trying to get somebody out of money. They're trying to take them. 
I told you the story that my uncle uh, one time was, was walked into a little uh, shop and he, and he bought some snacks and some drinks and he thought, well, that was really expensive. And he was like, that's too much. And the guy had a broom sitting up against that counter and he's like, oh, you didn't buy that broom? And immediately my uncle knew what he was doing. He was swindling people. He said, how many times you sold that broom today? That guy is an illustration of somebody who is swindling people. If you're, if you're a person who you're, you run your own business and you're always trying to get one up on somebody and you're trying to swindle somebody and you're trying to cut corners or whatever, you need to examine yourself. He says, these people will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now, as you look at this list right here, some of you are thinking, okay, let's, let's just choose. Because that's what we do, isn't it? We choose which sin is the worst. And usually we stay away from the ones that we struggle with. So some of you in here would say, I'll tell you who's the worst in here is those sexual immoral people. And there'll be others in here say, well, it's the homosexuality. That's the worst sin of them all. Let me tell you what God says. God says if you've broken one of these, you've broken them all. He says you're guilty. You are guilty before God, period. You're guilty. And every one of us in here are, are, are thieves and we're, we're murderers. We've hated people in our heart. We have committed adultery in our heart. We are an adulterers. We are broken, lost people. And that's why we need Christ. So people, what they'll do is they'll often just pull this particular word, Bible-thumping people, and they'll pull this word out of this, out of this passage and say, you know what, these people are going to hell. But won't you include everybody else also? God's not just isolating one thing. And by the way, you got to remember, you'd be surprised how many people that are heterosexual struggle with homosexual thoughts. Let's look. There's a difference between practicing sexual immorality, adultery, thieving, murder. There's a difference than being tempted by it. How many times are you tempted throughout the day for different things? There's times where you got to hold your mouth because you're getting ready to slander. There's, there's times you got to hold your tongue because it was really easy to tell a lie. And you go, no, I'm not. How many times are you tempted throughout the day? You got to understand there is a big difference. Homosexuality is one of many temptations that are unfortunately also that believers are plagued with. And, I'm, and there is a difference. Between what I'm saying is practicing and temptation. Look at James. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved. What is James saying here? He's saying every man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lust, his own desires. We're going to talk about what, are, what makes some people more susceptible to homosexual tendencies than, than heterosexual. But we know that everybody in here is tempted in some way. And what you do with that temptation decides if you're going to continue down a road of sin. And he says, and in the end, it, it could bring forth death to you. So, do you remember when Jesus was on the top of the mountain? And Satan looks at him, he said, look out, look out there, look at all that. All this could be yours. Jesus had just finished a 40-day fast, and, and, and here Satan is tempting him. 
Jesus experienced temptation, but there was no evil found in him. I don't know all the different temptations that Jesus was, that suffered, but the reason he came to be a man and he understand because he understands the temptation that we battle. He can, in Hebrew says this, it says, he says, we don't have a savior that's not affected like we are by the, by the temptations and he don't understand our sufferings. He came to this earth for 33 and a half years to understand what temptation was, to understand suffering, to understand. So we can't ever say, you don't know what I'm going through. He experienced the very same temptations that we experience. So, is temptation a sin? No, it's not. Secondly, I wanted to handle this. Is homosexuality natural? And is it something that people are born with? Because in our society today, and has been for the last 20 years, that people say, I was born this way, and I cannot what? Help it. Help it. Well, let's look at what the, board, the Bible says in Romans 1. Romans 1, 26 and 27. For this reason, God gave them over to de degrading passions. For the women exchanged natural relations for that which is contrary to nature, and likewise men, to abandon the natural relations. With women and burned in their desires towards one another, males with males committing shameful acts and receiving their own persons due to the penalty of error. When you look at this verse right here, you see I... I I underline, they abandoned their natural relations. What was going on in Romans chapter 1? People were turning their backs on God, and this has been going on for centuries, and they started turning not to heterosexual relationships, but he's talking about homosexual relationships, and he's talking about how they started attaching themselves, men to men, women to women. And he says they abandoned their natural relations. The word natural there means this. Something that is inborn inside of you. Agreeable. But the word inborn, natural, means something that you were born with and they abandoned that. They walked away from something that was natural to you at birth that God had placed inside of you, but yet they turned around and walked away from that. I cannot find in any passage of Scripture where it says that people that are practicing homosexuality, that they were just born this way, and they can't help it. So, what makes some people more susceptible to homosexual tendencies than others? Well, I've got several here. I'm going to look at the home life. We're going to look at the relationships, and we're going to look at the genetic theory. The first thing is sexual abuse. It's, it's, a, it's a terrible thing to sit across from a child or an adult that's been sexually abused for years. For an adult that has suppressed it and grandfathers sexually abused them and he's dead and gone and how that affected them. You'd be shocked at how many people are sexually abused, that has been sexually abused in this room right now, that you would never know, but it has tormented them. You know what? Women are really good about blocking things out. They can block, a, block out um, torments in their life, but I'll tell you this, it will resurface at some point. You have to work through this. You have to get it out. You just can't suppress it. But what, is, what the facts are is that some young men that, 
that suffered from sexual abuse and women as a young child, they actually battle with homosexual tendencies more than people who were not. Here's another one. Early exposure to pornography or sexual language. You know, I just want to go ahead and tell you that you, these kids are seeing things. They're not trying to see things and are seeing things that you and I would have had to shamefully walk into some store somewhere and we would have had to grab it off a shelf and ask for a magazine. I never forget that the first time I saw a magazine rack, you know, of course it was blacked out and I was a young boy and I thought, who in the world would ever walk into a store and ask for one of those things openly? Now, in the privacy of our room, our kids can get on and watch anything. And what it does, it begins to deaden their soul to where it's okay. It's fine. They're not just seeing heterosexual relationships, but they're seeing homosexual relationships too. And it's okay that it's acceptable. And as they continue to put this in their mind, all of a sudden they start finding themselves fantasizing about both sex. How about negative impressions or gender or self-image? There are some males that are just more feminine. And so, and there's some females that are more masculine. And so they tend to say, you know what, I think I'm born this way. Also, isolation from same-sex peers. So if, there's a, if there is a male, let's say, and he is more feminine, oftentimes the jocks or these guys that are very masculine, they, they push them away. And so where does this person go? They often walk into female relationships and they start acting like females and they start giggling like females and they start saying these are really my good friends and then they start having the same desires as a female would have and vice versa and so what would happen is these masculine guys would start calling names like fag and gay and all this and so you know they start believing this in their mind and so there's some factors here what makes people have these tendencies but here's another factor it's unhealthy relationships in the home now, just because I'm saying this, and if this occurred in your home, don't say, well, this is, this is what happened to us. It's honestly, like I told you two weeks ago, you could have raised your kids in the admonition of the Lord and just exactly like you were supposed to, and they made this choice on their own. I'm just giving you some examples of why some people struggle over others. But an unhealthy relationship it's when there's a distortion between the husband and the wives. There's confusion. There's frustration. There's dysfunction. It's when the wives are trying to take the man's role or the man's trying to take the wife's role and they're switching it around and then, they, and then there's a constant argument or battle. It's when the fathers are not at home where they're supposed to be and it's letting the mothers having to, um, to uh, train the young men. I see... When women have to be the parent, both parents, they do their best. They do their absolute best to be the man role. But guess what? They can't. They can't because they're mom. And so there's a real battle that's taking place. And you see that some women start training their sons as if they were their, what, little girls. They'll say things such as this. How many of your young men ever ran through a mud puddle? Today, when you walk outside, your boys, some of those boys will run through a mud puddle. And you're like, oh, my goodness. You know what? You need to thank God for that because they're doing what? They're being natural. That's what boys do, isn't it? But oftentimes we see a mom 
That's what the dad would say. Oh, let him play. And the mom's like, don't get dirty, don't get dirty. And if there's that constant, you need to be prim, you need to be proper, and you're trying to raise a daughter, but they're raising a son, he's going to start these natural tendencies sometimes. So if there's an unhealthy relationship or unhealthy balance, not only this, an unhealthy parental relationship. I am quick to call this out with couples. I have zero tolerance for this. One of the problems that we have, if the husband and wife does not have a good relationship, what the mom will do or the dad will do, they'll start confiding in their children. Let me tell you this. Your children should not know your problems with your spouse. And if you are confiding in your children and you think that they're going to help you, you are doing nothing but confusing them, making them angry, and you need to go to your spouse and you need to get some counseling, but your children are not to be your support group. Amen? They're not your confidant. They're not your friend. They are your child. And stop relying on your child and stop saying, well, your dad did this and he did this and, oh, your mom did this and she did this. They are not to know. Work it out between yourselves because you're doing nothing but destroying the child's relationship with the other parent. And so it places this burden on a child. But what about the genetic theory? Because often you will see science say that they're naturally born with this. There was a study done in the 90s, and it talked about the brain structure between heterosexual men and homosexual men. And so what they tried to prove is there is a reason that homosexual men are the way they are. So the first thing they did, they looked at the brain stem. They did a study of 41 cadavers of men who had died of AIDS. And it was determined that the reason that they uh, were this way, the reason they were homosexual was because they had a, a smaller brainstem. All 41 of these men had a smaller brainstem. And so there it is. There's the answer. We told you. They're born this way. They have a smaller brainstem. But later on, it was found out that the reason they had a smaller brainstem was because it was the result of the what? Of the AIDS. And the AIDS was what reduced the brainstem. Some of you nurses and doctors will know what the hypothalamus is. It's, it's what produces, um, produces or secretes hormones in your body. This same article talked about this, and it talked about that because of the amount of hormones that is secreted, it also said that this just determines if a person is a homosexual or heterosexual. Well, later on, it was debunked also, saying that is it impossible alone just by a hormone output it would determine if a, if a person decides to be heterosexual or homosexual. There was another study done with twins. Fraternal twins versus identical twins. And the study went like this. Let me go back. That homosexuality occurred more frequently in identical twins than fraternal twins. So there's some flaws here. One of the flaws is that none of these twins were raised apart. They were all raised under the same household, under the same relationship, under the same parents. If they wanted a true test, they should have raised these kids apart to see if there would have been a difference. But not only this, only half of the twins were homosexuals. So if it would have been something because they're identical twins, then 100% of these twins should have been homosexual. So science has tried over the years to, to try to justify this altogether. So 
I'm getting to the final thing and I'm done. The question that was asked to me, is there such thing as a gay Christian? Is there such thing as a gay Christian? And, and I'm thankful they asked it like that. Because if you mean by a gay Christian that if you define a gay Christian by somebody who struggles with temptations, homosexual desires, if that's your definition of gay Christian, then I want you to think about this. Is that the best way to re refer to them? Why, don't, why, did, why is it that we don't say, can a thieving Christian go to hell? I mean, go to heaven? Oh, we'd never ask that. How about an adulterous Christian? Can they go, can they go, to, can they go to heaven? Adulterous Christian. You, you know what verse I'm going back to, the one we initially started. Can the sexual immoral Christian, they still go to heaven? This is their practicing lifestyle. This is who they are. How about that murderous Christian? Can that person that constantly commits murder, that murderous Christian? Oxymoron, right? So I'm not really sure what the, if that was the question, but I wouldn't call a person a gay Christian who is fighting temptation just like you do with keeping your mind pure, with not lying, with not stealing, with not hurting other people, with not slandering. Because the truth is, is every one of these, we're going to battle different temptations in our life. That's the truth. We're not, we're not subject from it. And if you think that a strong heterosexual man or woman that's a Christian won't battle these, you need to wake up. They will battle these temptations at some point in their life. It may be briefly, but it's what they choose to do with that temptation. Just like it's what you choose to do with your temptation. And if you continue to remain in your sin, the Bible says this, if you do not repent of this sin, then you are not one of mine. So if the phrase gay Christian is a person who's perpetually unrepentant, lives a homosexual lifestyle, and there's no repentance in their life, then the Bible's clear. No, it's not possible. Just like a person who's committing murder, a thief, a sexual immoral person, an adulterer, all these. By the way, you read Revelation 21, you know what he adds there too? Liars. If a person is a perpetual liar, he says, and they don't repent of that, he said, then you know. You look, this is who they are. So, I was only able to get to three, and that's why. But I hope this helped you. And I hope this helped your understanding. But remember, study to show thyself approved. If you have any questions for me, I pray that this helps you. But the last thing that anybody battling with temptation needs to be going through is being put down because they're going through something. Because remember, you are there too every single day. I pray this has been a blessing. Father, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you for its power. We thank you for answering the questions that we know. Lord, I hope that this got some clarity. I pray this gives us a, a prayer that we probably didn't have before of how to reach out and how to help and how we have a world out there that's dying and going to hell. 
Lord, I pray that thank you for your word and for its clarity and its truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Robbie's going to come and dismiss you in a song. And you may stand, and I'll see you in the foyer.